We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. to another episode of the Golden Vlogs Podcast, the BearCast. We are back here, sponsored by the Booth Brewing. Follow your fun. Oh, I don't know what I don't know what my emotions are after this this past weekend. Uh, but I am here with my co-host Andy. Um, how you feeling, dude? I'm feeling great. <laughs> I'm excited. We got a little bit of a switch up we're gonna do for you guys today, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. So um, just to explain, we usually talk, you know, talk about the game for an hour, but Andy wanted. Andy was actually in the stands for this game. He did not send the box with me, so um, he was. Uh, he had a lot of fun that day. <laughs> that I was following my fun. <laughs> he was really sad. Really, was... really, really following your fun. Um, so we're actually rewatching the game right now as we're recording. So we just. We're gonna do a little quarter by quarter, so you're gonna you're gonna get a little bit of a break in between each. Uh, we'll talk. We're gonna we just watched the first quarter. We'll talk about that. Then after uh, we're gonna stop for a second, um, and then we're gonna watch the second quarter. Then we'll come back and talk to you guys. Uh, but for you guys, it'll just be one continuous podcast when you're listening to this. So we're gonna try this new setup up. See if this this is a cool way to talk about the game and and what we saw and whatnot. So. To get started, um, let's do this. It was a top 25 matchup in, in Berkeley. It was a Saturday night game. Uh, did you ever get the attendance numbers? They did not give us the attendance numbers, but I'm sure I can find out in the quickie stats. But, um, yeah, 7.30 game. Oh, attendance is attendance was 43,448. Oh, that's actually pretty disappointing. Yeah. It, it, it felt a lot larger than, the actually, that, than that number says. Um, and that... I think that might be because of the fact that the center, like anywhere near the 50 to 40 yard lines on both sides of the field were pretty much packed. Yeah. Uh, but I think anywhere beyond that was, was pretty spotty. Um, but yeah, number 19, Oregon comes in at number 24, California. And um, let's get right to it. Uh, let's talk about the first quarter. Yeah, so the fun perspective here, I think, is the one of watching in the stands and then, like, getting instant reaction to now watching on video. Yeah. Um, But the first thing that I noticed was from the perspective of being in the actual stadium as a fan, I thought that Oregon's run game was way more impressive in the first quarter. It looked like they were just had a ton of speed, and they were running into our – D 
D-line. But if, after on rewatch, you actually see that our D-line did incredibly well against the run in the first quarter. Uh, they were actually really strong at stopping the run. And uh, that was a really interesting kind of like contrast that I wasn't expecting. But I think the biggest thing that you see in the first quarter is you start to really – I mean, we obviously have a perspective of seeing the full game play out, but the two-quarterback system almost works against us, I would say. I think that McIlwain early provides a spark. Garbers looks a little bit off, and then we keep trading out uh, McIlwain for Garbers, particularly on that third and five, and then Garbers threw that ball way long to bunting, and, you know, we had to kick the field goal right after. It just so happened to come after a play where McIlwain was explosive and getting, you know, six yards, it seemed. And I, I don't know. For me, it's just sort of like I have the benefit of being able to play devil's advocate, right? We can sit here and, and do that. I would look at that play and be like, why take that guy out? You know, it just seems like at this point, the 2QB system is, uh, even that early on in the game, is actually hampering us rather than enabling us to be better. And it's nothing against Garbers, actually, so much as it is McElwain just looks better. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I'll just give you the stats just from the first quarter. Brandon McElwain, three carries for twenty yards. Garber two carries for nineteen yards and a loss of three, so total of sixteen. Passing wise, Garber's was one th- one for three with an interception, and McElwain was zero for one. And that, but that one was also just it was a great thrown ball, but the DB just made a ver- a fingertip deflection at the very last minute. Otherwise, that's a touchdown to Ian Bunting. Yeah. And so, even in the stands, the whispers were, wow, that was a really good play. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, the takeaways from this was the half ended, or the quarter ended 7-3. to three. So, it didn't feel like it was a game that was getting out of hand. Like, it, it felt like, okay, we're going to start trading punches. And it's a matter of when we do start landing punches, like, are we just going to settle for field goals or are we going to execute and get those touchdowns? And, you know, that first drive. So here, here are my, here are my takeaways from the stands that I, or from the box that I remember the first drive for Cal took seven minutes off the clock. Ridiculously great drive, right? Cause that's exactly what you want to stop this Oregon offense. Hold the clock, limit their drives, but have efficient drives that tire them out. Great, great drive. I'm a little upset that we settled just for three, or I mean, we only got three points out of that drive, but ultimately a great drive. Nonetheless, Oregon comes back, scores in four minutes. Herbert was, you could tell that he's a great quarterback just from that drive alone. Cause that touchdown throw was superb. Absolutely superb. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The scary thing. I think the, the scary thing you sort of felt was, I was like really hoping that Herbert would be a college quarterback, yeah. and instead what we saw was like an NFL quarterback. <laughs> and he, yeah, you're right. That I don't think you can put that ball in a better place. Yeah. And even if Funchess wasn't playing the most, the world's like best defense because like he's out up against a wide receiver, the ball was perfect. And uh, sometimes you got to just tip your cap, you know. Like, all right, if you're gonna do that, that's really hard to stop. Two more interesting that Two more interesting little tidbits about this game was. This is Cal, this when the Porter when Oregon scored and it became seven three. That was the first time this season that Cal had was trailing over a four game span. Pretty incredible, um, yeah. to, to, if you really think about it. That we played the BYU, that BYU game was so super close. 
The UNC game was not as comfortable as we expected it to, but yet we never trailed at any point in the in the game. The second interesting little tidbit of Herbert is Herbert's first start, career start, came in that double overtime loss to us yeah. here in Berkeley two years ago. Herbert's first road game of this season is here in Berkeley. Was here in Berkeley this past Saturday. They had not played away from home until today, or until Saturday, I believe. What? Yep. Really? Mm-hmm. They played three games straight at home, and then they played Stan- scheduled that. Yeah, they played Stanford at home, and then line. they came. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I remember because I was talking to my buddy Joey, who I you, uh, who came on the preview, um, and he was saying, "Yeah, this is Herbert's first thing. This entire team's first time away from Odson." Huh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he looked really good. Um, the I basically. The notes here is just like their old line was giving him a ton of time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, there's not much you can glean just from the first quarter because it kind of felt like both teams were kind of feeling each other out. Like, what's going to be effective against this, like, Oregon's O against our defense and our and our O against their defense. Like, what was going to work? What wasn't going to work? Yeah. It kind of felt like they were, because it's conference play now, too. So, you know, it, the stakes are higher. Well, the other thing I think that you mentioned as we were watching this is uh, taking a look at the number of people we were rushing. Yeah. So maybe you want to expand a little bit on that because I do think that was a pretty, it's an early signal, but it was a consistent theme that we saw very early in the game. Yeah. So what what I said when we were watching was that if you rewatch the tape, on most drives, we're not sending more than four guys. There was that one play, uh, I think, I believe it was third and seven, um, and their O-line was giving Herbert Literally years. Like, it felt like years in the pocket. Um, and we sent four guys on the pass rush against their five O-linemen plus a, run, a running back that had stayed to pass block. That play broke down down the field, so he takes off, which means everyone else is backed up because they're covering either man or zone. Like, we can't tell from the, the broadcasting um, camera angle. Uh, so they're all covering guys, which leads... Herbert able to run for the seven yards and then I think plus two and get the first down. Um, that was the weird part for me is that that was a trend throughout the entire game is it kind of felt like you knew their O-line was giving Herbert enough time to throw, yet we never really dialed up the pressure on him. Like, it's a numbers game, right? Like, if if we're sending four against their five and it's not working – and it's not getting to him in time, then you send five, <laughs> like, you know, to even up the matchup, that one guy's not getting doubled. Or if that still doesn't work, then you send six. Like, at, at some point, you just have to, you're, you have to gamble that your pass rush guys will get there faster than Herbert can throw. And the amount of time Herbert, it wasn't like Herbert was quick firing throws either, right? He, he was sitting in the pocket making all of his reads as much, as long as he wanted, and then decided... There's no one. There's no one to throw to. I'm just going to run, or he finds someone that's open and makes a beautiful pass to. So, that was the weird part for me is that you you never started gambling on the defensive side against him, but when you kind of had to start gambling because of the fact that he was making these legitimately like four or five seconds after the snap type of throws. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, read. My little, this week I did a few bold but probably inaccurate predictions for the game. <laughs> and one of them was that Justin Herbert will be disruptive as a runner. 
and at like 6'6", 233, I think he's about that size. Um, you wouldn't expect him to be that mobile, but he, he is. And a lot of what you saw in the first quarter was them converting on third and even like third and sixes, and he's converting them on the ground. Yeah, he ran three times for 13 yards. Yeah, and that, and two of them resulted in first downs. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's one quarter, but it's also indicative of kind of like a concern. And I think that's, you know, there was some level of, at this point with the game, you know, there was a tremendous amount of optimism, certainly. Yeah. And then I think that uh, so I was a little nervous with just, the Oregon looked clean, you know? Well, the thing and was... And then obviously with the pick. Oh, uh, yeah. And I missed that when I was in the stands because yeah. I was charging my phone. <laughs> um, but, you know, I saw it, I was watching on the screen, and that's actually, we could, we could analyze that a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, damn. So there's a couple places I would go with that. One, uh, what I was saying was that Hawkins is really small. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't that bad of a ball where I felt like it should have been as easy of a, of a pick as it seems. It, like, the defender was just way bigger than Hawkins and just was able to catch it very easily. And, it, yes, it was underthrown, and I think Hawkins had a step and probably was the right play call and was the right throw to make. But Hawkins just didn't really do any damage whatsoever in regards to disrupting that ball. Um, and I think it had a lot to do. It just seemed like he was too small to make that impact. But that was a pretty – it felt bad to go down and have that turnover that fast. Yeah, the flip side of, of that argument that I'll make, which we because we were watching – we're just watching it right now, is that one, the, of course, the ball was underthrown. And I think he threw it way too to the – it wasn't – so, okay, how should I word this? Um, the underthrow wasn't just to the distance between the receiver and the quarterback. The underthrow was also made way too to the center of the field. I think if he had thrown for, led his receiver a bit and thrown to the numbers, yeah. then he wouldn't have had to stop, look, like turn, and then try to jump up and make a play over a, a safety who was a lot bigger than he was. Yeah, okay, that's a good point. And he's going like... He's yeah, because he was, he was like... he was. I don't know what the route was because you can't tell, but it kind of looked like like a skinny post or just like a, a corner route, like you know, to the right. And he had already crossed midfield, but he threw or to the the center of the field, and he threw to the center of the field. Whereas I think if he threw either to the rash, the right hash mark or the right numbers, I think that's that's a touchdown because you hit him in stride, or he has a better chance to disrupt the ball because he's able to use his momentum to get up. And maybe swat the ball down, or make try to make the catch, versus having to plant and come back and try to make a play on the ball. Yeah, I agree with that, hundred uh, percent. But yeah, I mean, you look at Herbert's stats too. Like we're talking about Herbert a lot, but six of seven, <laughs> sixty-seven yards, a touchdown, and his long long throw is for thirty. Yeah, like that's 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 a perfect. That's a pretty much a near perfect quarter you would want from your quarterback. Our quarterbacks were. One of four for nine yards. And an interception. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first quarter for you folks. Yep. <laughs> In a nutshell. <laughs> well, so people also forget it doesn't have it on the quickie sheet. Oh, yeah, but Patrick Glare is one for one with that uh, with that quick pass or that uh, weird trick play to, to Vic Wharton. So technically, we'd be two for five. Two for five with an interception. Because of the running back. Yeah, and maybe 19 yards. Like, I think that was like eight, eight or ten yards for that on that pass play. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, they're giving Vic 14 on the session. So okay, great. so four, yeah, they're giving 14. Yeah. 
<laughs> so Patrick Laird was our leading passer. Yeah, his QBR was higher than the other two guys at, at this point, I believe, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and we continue on. And we continue on, and we will be back in a moment after the second quarter. Wow. <laughs> Where did we go wrong? <laughs> Man, that was tough to rewatch. We spiraled out of control <laughs> so, so fast. So fast. Under four minutes. Yeah. It wasn't like we were competitive. <laughs> it was like 14 10, and then there was like three minutes left. And, and then it was we're like, oh, let's just see how fast we can give up two touchdowns. Damn. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, yeah, initial thoughts. Um, Brandon McElwain has really bad habits when it comes to controlling the football. Uh, both of his... So we were talking about turnover totals in the sec, second quarter. Quarter. Uh, or no. No. No, no. Second. First half. First half. So you have the interception by Garbers. You have the scoop and score uh, happened under McElwain. And then you have McElwain's... Uh, it wasn't a turnover, but he fumbled the football. But he did recover uh, it. And then recovered it. On both of those plays, it, the first one, it looks like he's holding the ball high. Like, that's what I've seen from him the most. He holds football too high. He's high and the elbow's out. Like, yeah, it's away from his body. Out. So the ball can either be hit from below or above. Yeah. So he popped out. Ron Gold would not be pleased. He would not be. So that's on the one where he kind of scrambles out and gets hit from behind. Or, and then the other one where uh, the left tackle or left tackle gets beat. And then, I mean, he feels that the pressure is coming and starts to scramble and, like, literally does the arm out backwards thing. Yeah. And it's so easy. They just tip it. And so that's devastating. You know, at the time, I think in the stands, it looked a little bit more – I was a little more forgiving about it because, you know, it was a fast play. It happened like that. And seeing that in slow-mo, I mean, that's just just bad football. Uh, So you can see why you got benched. Really, the other, the flip side of it is Herbert probably had an even better throw in this one that left us, left us sort of just jaw dropping. Like that's unbelievable. That, that uh, deep throw to Jalen Red. Yeah, down the left sideline. Yeah. That thing, that ball in the air. Like if you were gonna show a young kid who is like, I want to be a quarterback one day. Like cool, just watch this guy. <laughs> that's what you need to do. Yeah, it's really impressive. I mean, we would show them Jared Goff, but you know, you know, if you, if you can't, you know, this is a good, good second, good yeah, second. I feel like some of the best college quarterbacks I've ever seen play have to be Luck, Goff, uh, and Herbert, and then I also actually thought Sam Darnold was really impressive. Really? Uh, okay, because I think I thought Rosen was. Rosen would be my third in there. Yeah, yeah, but there's just some recency bias in there. Like, obviously, yeah, we're not it, talking about Rodgers or. Uh, you know, like Matt Liner or anything like that. Yeah, Vernon Adams. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Marcus Mariota. Like, there's there's a lot of options, but uh, let's just go with the recent ones. Um, yeah. What about you? What are your, some of your thoughts? Well, I mean, judging ju- just watching again, like it just it. I'm getting like the thoughts of watching it in the box, and it was it was unpleasant. It was like a. It was one of those like just lean back in your chair and you like, well this this is this is pretty much over uh, <laughs> like the 
no, it looked like I mean the coaches said the guys never lost fight right like they they kept fighting they kept fighting they did and they didn't rewatching this game like there were it just looked like they just didn't know what they were doing wrong like that's what it kind of looked like it, it's not it's not the fact that their mentality was like yeah this game's over like we're not gonna play anymore it was just a why is this happening to us like why like we're we're doing what we're what we worked on we're doing what we were told like we're doing everything what the play call is like we're executing but somehow at the end like we're doing the one plus one equals and then when it gets to the answer part it just disintegrates into into thin air and that's the part where it's like there's there was just none of that final product on any play yeah but i think if you look at the game too like it really wasn't that clean yeah, and there's plays like we talk about the McElwain fumble that he recovered. Right. What about that play that Addison, you know, the bad snap, the worst snap maybe yeah. of his career uh, that Garbers had to go back on and throw out of bounds. We had the fumbled snap at the beginning of the game. Well, we also have to talk about Jordan Kanasich or uh, Joe Yogan Banjo jumping off sides. Jumping off sides, like there's a lot of mental mistakes that are happening, and for coming out of a bye week, like. Last year we came out of the bye week against Stanford. We played a near flawless game. Yeah. I remember that because the one big flaw was Garber. Sorry, it was Bowers throwing the interception. Yep, late. And, yeah, late, and that was the difference in the ball game. We played a way cleaner game then than we did here, which is really interesting. There's actually some elements of regression with this team that are mind-blowingly confusing to me. Yeah, um, and not like it's. The problem with coming off of a bye week is your sample size is incredibly small. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when is the, we're not going to be able to look at this over the court until we get like maybe five years worth of data to really understand it. It was sunny. We felt like we knew that we were going to suck after bye weeks after about four years. It took us four years to get there. So we've had two examples. <laughs> <laughs> Don't feel that confident in either one of them. But it was really weird seeing us come out and play that sloppy. But if you looked at the Idaho State game, and then you go and you look at the, um, you looked at BYU and UNC. Really, BYU is the only game that I could kind of look at and say that we had a, a clean Wilcox style of football that I expect. Yeah. The Idaho State game, you and I walked out of that game being like, "Wow, we have a lot to work on." And you know, there was a really strange sense of optimism amongst like. Yes, it was. You and I were like one of the only few yeah. that were that was very questioning. Yeah, yeah, and. And it was like this weird sense that we just beat a low tier FCS team, and and then some of this we you know we kind of did the same mistakes that we made against those teams and against a, a much better football team, just doesn't have the same outcome. Yeah, it this it was like it it just spiraled out of control, um, and then it just got to a point of holy crap! There's there are so many halftime adjustments that need to be made. Um, that like, you know, when we were talking about the first quarter, we, I was talking about how we basically did not put any pressure on Herbert. Like we only sent four and we just made, we tried to pull, we tried to go with our strengths, which was our DBs and expected them to make play one-on-one plays with only four guys in coverage. But you look on the flip side and Oregon on a third and third and seven, what do they do? They send five or they send six and they, they disrupt anything that Chase Garbers tries to do in the pocket. And then that forces him either to, to get antsy and scramble or forces a, just a, like 
a throw to the wide receiver that's nowhere near catchable. <laughs> so you're seeing why you blitz more than however down, down lineman you have and how effective it can be. As we said, it's a, it's a numbers game. If they have five people blocking the quarterback and if you send six, usually one, that one extra guy will tend to put some pressure on the quarterback. And as you said, the one time we sent six in that third down situation. He threw into the ground. Yeah, he forced Herbert <laughs> to throw it into the ground. And it was almost, uh, it was almost, oh, wait, on, whatever. Just, anyways, yeah. um, just totally forgot who yeah. the was. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was exactly the result that we got out of that was entirely different from what we are getting before. But I also uh, want to take a quick aside and a Make sure that we appreciate the fact that Oregon's one of Oregon's assistant coach has an incredible mustache. One of the greatest stashes. <laughs> one of the greatest stashes of all time I've, I've, I've ever seen. Great, great stash. So, why do you think Cam Bynum got beat so bad in one-on-one coverage? Because going into this, I would have said he's by far our best defensive back. They didn't really throw at Elijah Hicks all that much. He didn't. They actually picked on Cam Bynum, our mm-hmm. best player. Uh, well. Statistically, last year too, Cam Bynum was the most thrown at DB out of our DBs. So if you take that into into consideration as well, so that's that's what I don't know. I'd have to we'd have to like sift through all of last season and this season as well. Is is Cam Bynum making all those plays and being so good in coverage? Like is the, is that what's making him a really good DB or? Is it the fact that he's getting more chances to make those plays that makes him look more of like a really, really good DB? And I don't – I'm not saying that he's a, he's a bad one. I think he's, he's arguably our best one. But that's the, that's the weird question mark that I have is, is it their wide receiver that's just beating Cam badly, you know, on, on some of those routes? I, I don't know. I mean, at least the one touchdown yeah. he gave up. Yeah, he, he got – He got – Yeah. Well, but he <laughs> – he didn't even try and get up into him. Like, yeah. he didn't even try to force him out, like, in a, you know, to bump him off his route or anything. He was, what, maybe five yards off of him. And the guy, or maybe like two or three, actually. And then he came, the, the wide receiver came up on him, did a little did a little shimmy, and was just off to the races. <laughs> and what happened after that? He was benched. Yep. He was benched. Josh Drayden was in there, and then Hicks was on the other side. And we didn't see Cam Bynum for the rest of the rest of the quarter. The coaching staff really takes that next man up philosophy. We say it a lot in regards to injuries, but yeah. they also do it a lot at a much higher frequency than other coaching staffs I've seen in regards to turnovers. Yeah. Well, you saw that with you're turn any the ball over, any position. Next next player's coming in. Yeah. You're gonna make a mistake. All right. Well, we got somebody else. Which 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 is a double edged sword because it works great because it motivates any player on the roster. If you're on the th- like two or three deep, you have a shot at playing. Like you'll get an opportunity yeah. to do it. Yeah. But at the same time, the opposite part of this is that you give no slack to any player. Like they're constantly going to be playing subcon- even consciously or subconsciously with the fact that I will be pulled if I make a mistake. Right. So right. it wouldn't would not have worked with Sam Darnold. Right. Where, where does that – like that's such a fine line in terms of like your, your mental game breaking down and like staying staying motivated. It can flip to either side really quickly. I think if you 
Yeah, I agree. I think if you coach that and you get the right type of player, I'm sure you could probably establish a pretty good culture around that. Yeah. Well, the the other opposite side of this, in my opinion, is that you would need depth. Yeah. You you if you want to play this this type of mentality where you can you just say yep next guy up like you can't have a significant drop off in terms of base talent for that to work. Yeah. You know. Um, you know. You know what's funny is like a lot of the post game chat, which I love on our site, uh, was really talking about the speed and athleticism of Oregon. Yeah. And it was a lot of the Sunny Dykes uh, press conference one hundred and one of you know. They just have players that are more athletic than us. But after you watch the this half, you don't see that. You see a quarterback that is a generational talent. If Maybe. not the best quarterback in the Pac-12. I, yeah. I truly believe he is. And so you see the quarterback that kind of gives them the advantage. The receivers catch some pretty good balls. But like that run that uh, they took the house on by the true freshman, first of all, just so everyone knows, three-star recruit, so let's not knock the three-star recruits. And then also, uh, that O-line, the hole was wide open. He's just fast. He's just a fast back. We have fast backs. Johnny Adams is a fast back who's a freshman came in. But we don't we have, have him. Right. Dancy <laughs> is a fast back that we... But we didn't as have As you him. said, kind of really <laughs> into this game. Um, I don't think that there was a level of athleticism in the first half where you're just like, they are more athletic and thus are better than us. I would not use that as a takeaway having both seen the game in person and then rewatched on tape. It just seems like we came out a little sloppy. Like literally Yeah, it came down to discipline is yeah. what it came down to on both sides of the ball. And which is probably why Wilcox was ready to eat somebody at the conference. Yeah, I think he yeah, he would have he would have ripped one of us <laughs> if we asked him a really really question that angered him. Coach, 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 over here. Why do you think Ross Bowers wasn't in the football game after throwing <laughs> nearly 300 yards against the same Oregon team last year? So let me let me <laughs> get out. Yeah, here. Get out of here. You're no longer allowed. Your press pass is revoked. <laughs> um, let me ask you this then, before we close out this segment and we watch the third quarter. What are the what if you're one of the coaches, right? Doesn't matter what position, right? What's the halftime adjustment you're making in that locker room? I'm making McElwain the starter, and he should have been the starter. Way before that, throwing Garbers into the game at a certain point, like McElwain was just better. I understand he was like one for six with 45 yards, yeah. and had, but he'd run for 68 yards. That touchdown run was awesome. Um, you know, you said shedding tacklers, and uh, he was way more dynamic. So, I would have, you know, a halftime adjustment I wish that had been made earlier would be making him the starter. Um, I don't want to like you've said all the really good ones. So I don't want to steal it. I think no, go for it. That defensively, I honestly wouldn't have changed all that much. Uh, I actually like the I, I like what they did putting our DBs out there and saying like this is the strength of our. We're gonna put you out there against the receivers, and and you're gonna be in isolation, and you have to win those battles, and we're gonna win those battles, and then we're gonna contain the run. We did a pretty damn good job of it. It. If the score was twenty-one to ten, or if the score was twenty-one to thirteen at the half, I think all of us would have said, "Okay, we're in this ball game. We could play better, and the second half could potentially be ours." But because of it's really the turnovers, and 
how much of an adjustment can you make on turnovers besides, hey, we have to execute, and by the way, turnovers are unacceptable. Um, those would be mine. I know you have a couple of good ones, so I don't want to steal them. I don't remember what my couple of the good ones are. The uh, ceiling the outside? <laughs> Yo, yes. Um, so, yeah, one of the ones was ceiling the outside because you looked at all of the scrambles that Herbert was making, and all he would do was just run from the center of the pocket and just think of a diagonal line, maybe at like 25 degrees, like, you know, parallel to the to the sideline. That's the line he would take, and it was just a, just a straight line. Never faltered. All of our quarterbacks, whenever they're scrambling, usually up the middle because that's what their DNs are doing. They're closing the pockets from the outside, forcing them to step up where we have our inside linebackers. Our inside linebackers were our linebacker strength, right? It's, it's clear as day that Evan Weaver and Kanasich are our best linebackers. And for us to not funnel Herbert into that, making that the only running option straight into those two guys was, I think, a huge mistake. As you said, Weaver was making tackles in areas he shouldn't have had to have been in. Yeah, I mean, if you think of where the the like the average or where the normal football line is supposed to be, like let's say it's smack dab in the middle of the field, right, sideline to sideline, there's no way an inside linebacker should be making tackles at the sideline of the quarterback. That's just my thought. All right, we will be back after the third quarter. All right, well, we're back here um, after watching the third and the fourth. We just decided to make it a whole big second half one just because, by golly, the game was over <laughs> at a certain point in the third quarter. So we're back. Uh, we're going to talk about the rest of the game and then a little bit afterwards, and then we'll be done with the pod for the day. So let's get started. Andy, your thoughts with the third and fourth quarter, second half? Well... I can't. I have a hard time understanding if I was just being like the optimistic Cal fan and thinking that we still had a chance. <laughs> I remember thinking then in the stadium that because Oregon had blown such a big lead against Stanford, um, that we might be able to come back. Well, let's go into positives. That Garbers drive. Um, so the thing we saw really early with Garbers and consistently with Garbers was that he wasn't feeling protection. He would see his own players coming at him, the pocket getting smaller. And he would tuck the ball and run. And he actually ran into a couple of sacks. And that, so that, to me, was, it was really weird to have, have watched that. But then all of a sudden, it clicked. And he started moving downfield. Uh, he had a good pass, a couple of good passes to Vic Orton. And then, ultimately, Patrick Laird gets going on the ground. And the theme of the third quarter for me was Patrick Laird being really effective as a runner. Um, the other bigger play that happened was we got a turnover uh, fumble and you started to feel the momentum completely change to Cal and we're going downfield Patrick Blair gets it to the 25 he gets stuffed and then the biggest play in my mind the second half happens which is where Garber drops back uh, and you and I have differing accounts of really what happened here yeah. but he looks to and sees three to four Oregon defenders and one Jeremiah Hawkins and uh, throws it to a guy in triple coverage. And all of, you know, you guys know what happens when you throw in triple coverage is usually not good things for the offense. Yeah. I mean, he even, Jeremiah didn't even have a shot at that ball. Because no. it, was, it yeah. was way, like, further over his head that the safety coming over the top was just like, well, thank you very much. Like, that's, that's just an easy I'd pay good money to know what Bo Baldwin was. Called? 
No, because they, they showed a shot of him on the sideline yeah. going over to Garbers and Garbers and him having a back and forth. And I was like, come on, put a microphone in there. <laughs> I'd love to hear what they're talking NFL about. films with the mic. Hey, dude, what are you thinking? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had him, even though there was four other Oregon defenders there. Like the uh, thing that I'll just go, I'll, I'll just piggyback off of some of your points as you continue, but that... Like the one about Garbers like taking off. Like there was one particular one that upsets me a lot, which you heard while we were watching was there's one where it's three rushers. It's three Oregon rushers against our entire five-man line. And he feels the pocket collapsing on one edge, decides to take off up the middle, and gets tackled by one of those three <laughs> defensive linemen before the line of scrimmage. So it was actually a loss. Yeah, who was like still getting blocked? Yeah, <laughs> he pulled him down with one hand, like one arm. Yeah, yeah. It just it just seemed like he had a little bit. He got a little jumpy, and we've seen a quarterback that we've talked enough about previously and that had kind of the same issue. So let's hope that it's just like a something that happened against Oregon and isn't a theme of what's to come. Because, but what was really good was that drive. I mean, he had good balls, good throws. Uh, what it was like a couple of throws, I think, to Vic. One on the outside and then one over the middle on the big game. On yeah. That drive that we came down and scored a touchdown with the Patrick Laird run. Uh, that looked actually really good. And it was at the exact same time when we were just talking about, like, let's put McElwain in as the starter. Why is Garbers even getting minutes? And then you see him do that. Um, and McElwain definitely has his own issues with, uh, you know, spotting the ball as well. So, um, yeah, 34 defenders from Oregon. Um, yeah, it's tough. I think the other thing that you could uh, really highlight is the fact that Evan Weaver was a complete stud in this game. And every single quarter we've watched so far, he's everywhere. And particularly in the second half, just making tackles all over the field. And they're not just like, you know, a random tackle on a four-yard game. They're first down saving tackles that he's making and plays that, you know, he's helping out with. Um the worst play on defense from the third quarter was Ashton Davis, and that was the big run. And he missed uh, the tackle badly. Yeah, badly. So what do you think he did wrong on that? He went. He went for the ankles. The guy already had momentum going right, and you're trying to tackle him from the side. You don't go for the feet because it's, it's, if he high steps, if he sees you and he just high steps just one of his legs, you're missing fully. You're fully missing. <laughs> so. I mean, he had this—he had the speed to catch up to him. I don't know why he went for the ankles. Like he should have just went for the body and, and hoped one of the other guys comes down to to help him out. But yeah, that was that was the big one. I mean, let me just looking at some of the stats at the end of the game. All right, this is some of the stats from the final. Brandon Malcolm went 15 carries for 123 yards and a touchdown. Patrick Laird 18 carries for 92 yards and a touchdown. Passing-wise, McIlwain 11 for 21 with two, two interceptions and a touchdown. Chase Garbers 4 of 9 with two interceptions and nothing. So, there was one really sad moment in this game um, in terms of statistics where the, the completions on the Cal side literally read 3-2-1. It was, I, I believe it was... Three completions to Chase Garbers, two completions for McElwain, and one completion for Patrick Laird. <laughs> that's what it led. That's what it read on the stat 
on the stat broadcast at one point in this game. And and then, oh my goodness. Also, some interesting things from the notes. Uh, Jordan Duncan had that great, great catch um, mm-hmm. and that toe tapper in the fourth quarter to, to pull one back for us. Yeah. That's a team-leading touchdown reception. Guess how many? Three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that, that tells you enough. I, I'm completely baffled at how much this offense has regressed over the span of four games. And not, not from UNC to now, like all of last season and then seeing these four games. Yeah, 2017, 2018 will not look. I mean, it actually is – I actually went back and looked at the first three games back when I was in my Ross Bowers days. And uh, like your Ross Bowers day two weeks. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went back and looked at the actual statistics, and offensively, we're kind of putting up similar, similar stats, but yes, worse. I mean, I think like if you look at S and P plus, we're in the twenty worst teams in all of college football in, on offense. On offense, but what you saw from this game, I think Nick highlighted really well in his article, was that. There was a lot more to like from this game that showed you that we could be more of like an average offense. But it does feel weird that we're like yearning for that a year away from where we thought we saw a lot of progression into the year outside of that Washington game in regards to like offensively. Uh, yeah, so I agree entirely. It just seems like I don't know what it. I mean, I don't know. The flip side of it is you could also say if McElwain is able to just see that guy that comes free on the blitz and put a little more loft on that ball that Jordan Duncan definitely beats that defender in the third quarter and it's a touchdown instead yeah. of the, the four and out at the two and, and a half the, one and a half yard line yeah and that would have been a difference maker I really think, thought that if you would, if we had gotten it within you know that one possession even if it was an eight point deficit I think 11 too yeah somewhere right around there those Oregon fans were nervous yeah. I mean, they just went through that last week so Felt like a big, big miss. Yeah, I mean, I think you get anywhere within striking distance of that much, and for the it the the mental aspect for the Oregon team starts breaking down. You're like, oh crap, we're going through this again. We're doing this again, and then that's when they start to get antsy on both offense and defense, and that's when we mount, start mounting the pressure. But it never got to that point. Like it never, we never really threatened them. The the thing about this this offense for us this year is like. Every time our offense is on the field, we're not expecting them to score. That's the thing for me, is that at least last season, despite statistically putting up a reasonably the same amount of numbers, like it just feels this year like – or last year we kind of felt, all right, we'll, we'll push down the field. Like are we going to settle for a, a touchdown or a field goal? Like, you know, do you think we can – can our defense make just enough plays for us to, you know, maybe eke out a couple more things? But today, or this, at least this past week, just felt like, oh my god, like we just don't have enough on offense. Like we, we're just not gonna get there, and it doesn't, it doesn't help when we shoot ourselves in the foot this many times. And McElwain contributes to twenty-eight points of this entire game with fourteen for us and fourteen for them. <laughs> the fourteen for them really hurt. There's a one. I mean, the seven. The seven really hurt. The pick six, I don't think that matters at that point, just because it's so late in the game. The game was already that was just that was just a bad throw. That, but that that scoop and score was was huge. Yeah, it's huge. And then he makes it up for us with like 
that beautiful pass to Ian Bunting with an even remarkable catch by him. And then that amazing throw to Jordan Duncan in the corner for that toe-tapping touchdown. So, any any last thoughts before we do a little wrap-up of the game? I hope everybody enjoyed this version. Yeah. Um, it was fun to do something different and get to analyze the game and see the two different perspectives. It's funny how it kind of fit the same narrative. Yeah. Of I felt I feel the same exact way having watched it kind of on tape as I did leaving. And it just tends to be a little bit more with a, like, I don't, like, with a pessimist-type view, which is not usually what I have with Cal football right now. But until we are proven otherwise, until this team showcases that they can execute a full game, then it's going to be really hard to get me on board with that because I feel, I still feel like we should be looking at next week and saying we're going to win that game. And I look at next week and say we can win that game. I look at UCLA and say we should win that game, but are we going to win that game? I wish I could look at those games. And just take it as have, dubs. Yeah, and have the, the certainty. But um, I don't even think the coaching staff has certainty around really what they're doing on the offensive side of the football. The defensive identity is very clear to me what we wanted to do. Yeah. We had a game plan. We executed it. There was room for improvement, and I think you did a really good job of diagnosing those areas. Offensively, it's like, who do we want to be? Are we a run-first team? <laughs> Are we a pl- like a fun trick-play team? Are we? Well, do we have one quarterback? Do we have two quarterbacks? Do we have three quarterbacks? Are we an RPO? Like, are we are we conventional offense? Are we West Coast offense? Like, what what the hell are we? Do we have one running back? Do we have three running backs? Do we have like, seven running backs? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just really hard to understand uh, on that side of football. So, uh, I'm hoping as we look towards ne- next week a little bit that against an Arizona team that struggles defensively, we can find that identity on offense. Finally, because Patrick Laird, you know, maybe like that was the thing that kind of happened last year was he became the man and the offense kind of formed around him. Uh, so if we can see a similar progression there, then our path to six, seven wins isn't necessarily one that's packed full of devastatingly tough opponents right now. Yeah, I mean, to, to sum it up, like this loss doesn't change the trajectory of what we expected this team's floor to be, right? Like this... This wasn't like a, a thought a game that we thought we were gonna win, like you know we pegged as a W, and that turned into an, into a loss. Like most of us had this game as a loss, but the thing that, as you said, the identity part that confuses me is we're going into week six of the season. We're going into week six. This we're in week six. but we still don't know what our offense is supposed to look like. Like when all cylinders are firing. Yeah. Right. Like what? What? What is our picture perfect offense supposed to look like right now? Like at least you know during Sonny's tenure here, offensively we knew what our offense was going to do. Like we knew our strengths. We knew this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to score points. Um, and we know that weirdly defensively for this team, like we knew, judging from the tape we just watched, like we knew they were going to put our DBs on islands. We knew we weren't going to rush more than necessary and just try and, and win the coverage battle, like create coverage sets. Like that's what I think our, our game plan was going against Herbert. Like we're not – we might not get to him every time, so we're not even going to risk it. We're going to send it, drop everyone back into coverage and make sure that he has to either make really, really tight throws or have to run by himself, which he did and that's how he beat us.
But yeah, once again, we have no idea what we're trying to do offensively. And it looks like some of the players don't even know like what they should be expecting. Signs of life. I would, yeah, I think would love to see more of a commitment to uh, one one player. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think if we start McWayne, it'd be fun. Like, who doesn't want to see that? Khalil Tate versus Brandon McWayne. Yeah. Uh, fun electric plays, semi-prone turnovers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think it could be a really fun brand of football. We have to kind of to sign up for that mentality and say, I'm, I'm down to watch someone that isn't as good at protecting it, but... Yeah, like uh, would you bit. would you be able to live and die with, like not not the scooping scores and the pick sixes, but like let's say the the fumbles on a scramble, like you know, the, and those types of turnovers. As if he played the full game. Look, if they don't result in points and they're not always in your territory, it's not always as devastating. But um, and when you have a defense as good as ours, we can make up for it. it so I do really believe that we kind of have a, a, a team that. I can do that, but the brand of football that we're talking about, and well, you said like we're moving more towards a Stanford brand of football, and that is all based around winning the you, know, you cannot lose a turnover battle and win those types of football games because you're playing time of possession and you're playing uh, turnover margin. So we kind of got we kind of got to decide, and that's the funny thing with. You kind of have Wilcox, too, is you have a defensive-minded head coach that kind of wants to control more of the tempo of the football game. You have Bo Baldwin, who has a very innovative style of offense, which is somewhat in at odds with that at the time. So I think we can figure it out. Um, yeah, Team BMC train, though, that's for sure. Yeah, run BMC, run BMC, run BMC. Um, yeah, I mean, closing thoughts, I guess, for this game is... It looked winnable. I still think you take away those turnovers that our offense gave up, and it was winnable. We take care of the football, and it was winnable. I think that's probably the the reason why Wilcox was just so upset and like like huffing and puffing as he walked into that press conference is because I think that's what he understood is that you you take away the fourteen points that's erased off of the pick six, which came in garbage time anyways, but and then the scoop and score. Like it's, it was what, 40, 48, 42 to, to 24. And you take away 14 of those points. It's 28 to 24. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty much what Vegas, Vegas expected the game to be. It was a three and a half point spread that dropped to two and a half by, by game start. So it was right there. It was right there. We shot ourselves in the foot way too many times that we just couldn't recover. We couldn't walk. <laughs> That's basically what happened. We shot ourselves in the foot so many times that we couldn't even walk. Yeah. So, yep. Arizona game coming up. You start Brandon McElwain? Yeah, 100%. 100%? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't even worry about <laughs> doing any other quarterback stuff and just see what you got starting the whole game. None of and see, the business where we like have someone that finds momentum and or like starts to find rhythm. And then we just pull them out of the game, and it just is like we waste a play, and then we put them back in the game. Get rid of it. Yeah, the thing that that frustrated me the most was like, you know, you see Brandon McElwain run two really good plays, right? And then it gets us to like a third and four. And then we pull him, and then we put in Chase Garbers with five wideouts, and he's in shotgun. Clear as day what we're trying to do 
Like, you know, like, they're passing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so yeah, I, I hope, I hope, I just hope we have some type of decision by Saturday and an identity and just, this is the man we're going forward until he makes a mistake. We're not going to keep pulling and pulling and pushing guys like McElwain is the guy. And if he fumbles, you're out. We're putting Chase in, <laughs> right? Like yep. that's, that's, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that type of next man up mentality is if you make a mistake, we're pulling you. But this two quarterback thing of like every other snap or like every three plays is super weird. Super weird. I guess uh, that's pretty much it. I don't I don't have much else to say. Um, I know you're writing the Arizona preview for for this week. Um, are you excited to write that one? About I'm Cleo thrilled. Cleo Tate. <laughs> I, I love Cleo Tate. Super excited. All right, but that Arizona game is in Tucson. Um, I believe it's a seven p.m. seven thirty p.m. kickoff. Yep. Again on FS1 again. So we're on back to back FS1. That's good. Um, they had a good. They had a good announcers. Yeah, they did have Demarco Murray cussing on live television was awesome, um, and <laughs> yeah, that was that was probably great. Yeah, I I guess one other note to close is Jared Goff was at this game. I think we forgot to mention that the entire the entire recording, but that was great to see. You know, you had that Thursday night game where he threw five touchdowns, and you know, we we wished he could have dressed up to play. He has a year of eligibility <laughs> left. <laughs> Not anymore, it doesn't. Give him give him a give him a, a what's it like a a wig and just say he's Dre Foge. Yeah, it made it made perfect sense. Is that the name of the guy that? He yeah, played? he played. All right, well, that wraps it up for us here on the BearCast, and as always, go Bears. Go Bears. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.